As you're able, if you will stand, we are going to uh, read Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. This is found on page 1062 in your pew Bible. And this is known as the Great Commission. Matthew 28, beginning in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fade. But the word of our God shall stand forever. Amen. Please be seated. And at this time, our children will be dismissed to attend Children's Church. Well, good morning. I want to welcome you again. My name is Kirk Cooper. I'm one of the ministers here at Trinity Church, and we're really glad to have you with us this morning. Uh, That's Bill Clark, who's been assisting us uh, in worship and leading us. Um, This passage is Missions Month, so we're starting Missions Month with maybe the most famous missions passage that there is, uh, the Great Commission. Now, this is a famous, maybe you're not familiar with Scripture, uh, but this is the most fam- one of the most famous passages in all the scriptures. And what that means is, is that I'm going to say nothing original, uh, nothing that hasn't been said before by learned men for hundreds of years. Uh, but also, uh, even if you've read this passage many times, I hope that you will be encouraged by what we find here. Uh, I want to begin by pointing out how authentic and real and honest this passage is. Uh, At first glance, you might not notice that. But let's just look at verse 16. Just verse 16. Sorry, verse 16 and 17. I want to read that verse one more time. Now, the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Uh, Thursday of this week, uh, our older son had to stay home from school. He's fine. He had a little fever, but he's fine. He, he didn't. He didn't have to uh, 
go to the doctor or anything. He's all good. But what that meant was, is that uh, our younger son, Grayson, uh, I was going to take him to school, just him. And what that meant was is that he had control of the radio of, or the phone. So uh, he, he was going to play DJ. And uh, he is on this song right now called The Twelve Disciples. Um, and I'm not going to sing it for you, uh, although I could. Uh, because that morning on our way to school, we listened to it eight or nine times in a row, just back to back. He is at that age where he likes for things to just be, he just, just do it again. Let's just do it again. And we listen to that song over and over and over again. And normally his brother and he have to share, uh, they have to alternate songs. But he didn't have to alternate songs Thursday. And so we listened to, we are 12 distance. I said I wasn't going to sing it. But we listened, we listened to it over and over and over again. And he knows all the names of the 12 disciples because of that. But uh, the 12 disciples is iconic. It's an iconic thing. The 12 disciples. How does our passage begin? Now... The 11 disciples. That should stick out to you. This is a moment of triumph and vindication. Jesus is back from the dead. He is appearing. He is commissioning. He is leading his disciples. It's not working out the way they thought it was going to work out. He's not a military leader. He's not here to squash Rome. And yet, and yet, he was crucified publicly. And you just don't come back from that. And he did. And even in this moment of triumph and vindication, there is this implicit recognition that not everything is the way that they would have liked. There is this loss. And this passage is encouraging and inspiring. And we have hope. The testimony of this church is that we have hope in Christ, a real solid hope. But having hope in Christ does not mean that we just ignore or toss aside the fact that in these pews and in this city and in this state and in this world, we have experienced real loss. And just in the first four words of this passage, there is that recognition. I I know because we know how it ends, we tend to read things into the scriptures that might not really be there. But you know, Judas was friends with the disciples. And sometimes we just kind of pass that off as if it wouldn't have been a massive loss, disappointment, and heartbreak to them that he would betray Jesus. But here we have it triumphal ending of Matthew, and yet the very first thing is, we lost a brother. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. That's the second thing I want you to see about this prelude to the commission. There is obedience here. It says, they went to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. They were obedient, and they were where Jesus had called them to be, and, and this is another little bit of application for those of us who are in Christ and want to serve the church. The most important ability any believer has is availability. Is its submission to the Lord's call. And, and I want to ask you a question that you might have to think about for a while. Uh, longer than this sermon at least, which is this. Are you open to God's call in your life? I'll just be as honest as I can. I'm not always open to God's call. 
especially when I feel like he's calling me to do something that I'm afraid to do. Uh, In many ways, I resonate with Jonah, who ran the other way. But these disciples, one thing that I think is very interesting is that they, they were where they needed to be. And I think that's a question that we all, as his disciples, have to ask. Is, are you open and available to do what God wants you to do? I can, t- I can promise you this. You will not feel significant satisfaction and fulfillment if you are resisting his call. They're open, they're available, and they're, they're obedient to where Jesus wants them to be. And then it says this, when they saw him, verse 17, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Church, did you hear that? Jesus is resurrected before them, and it says some doubted. Now, this is not the word that you most of the time used for doubt or unbelief. The Greek word for faith is um, pistis, P-I-S-T-I-S, kind of transliterated. And then like the opposite of that or unbelief would not surprisingly be a-pistis or unbelief. That's not what is here. This word is only used really one other time. This word for doubt is used only one other time in the New Testament. And that is when Peter is invited out onto the waves. When Peter is invited onto the waves, that's recorded for us in Matthew 14. He's looking at Jesus and he's standing on the water and then he hesitates. And it says this in verse 31. As, Jesus begin, as Peter begins to sink, it says, Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Now, I want to point something out about that passage okay, that I think is very interesting. That's the same word for doubt or hesitation that's used. It's not a lack of belief. It's a trepidation, a hesitation, a misgiving. Did you notice that Jesus reached out for him first before he asked him about his doubt? Did you see that? In that passage, when Peter is sinking in the waves, it says... Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand. And then when he had taken hold of him, he said, why did you doubt? If you have doubts, we want you here. This congregation wants you here. You are welcome here. And I'm going to tell you something, okay? If you think that there is like some level of Christianity that you'll get to where you never have doubts, you should try being a minister. (laughs) You will be disabused of that notion very quickly. This is such a realistic admission in verse 17. And this is a great reminder for all of us, is that the disciples were not superheroes, okay? They were not walking away unfazed as explosions went off in the background. You know that scene in, in, in a lot of action movies where the guy's walking away, usually has sunglasses on, right? And there's a big explosion and fire in the background, but he's just walking away. If you ever see an explosion and you see someone just kind of casually walking away unfazed, that guy did it, okay? I've learned that from the movies. Um, also, stay away from that guy. He could probably beat you and several of your friends up all at once. But that is not what the disciples are. They're not that. It says they worshipped and they doubted. 
Listen, there's a passage in Mark where this father brings his son to Jesus to be healed. And at one point, after Jesus interacts with his father, this father just screams out to Jesus, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And I just wonder, are you honest enough to pray that prayer with God even today? I pray that prayer all the time. I believe, Lord, but help my unbelief. Answer my doubts. If you're questioning, if you have doubts, we want you here. And this is a place where it's okay to doubt. We want to reach out to you before we ask you about that, just like Jesus did to Peter. Okay, that, those two verses, 16 and 17, are the prelude to the commission. Now, verses 18 and onward are the commission itself. And uh, I was talking to someone yesterday. They called me as I was making my lunch. And uh, I, I'll tell you right now that uh, I like to make... Uh, sandwiches at home. And I have a very specific recipe to making that sandwich. You know, you got your two pieces of bread, nature's own, um, honey wheat, best bread ever. Love it. Not a commercial for them, but anyway. Uh, and then I like, a, I like roast beef, a roast beef sandwich. And I like a, maybe I got a little mix of sauce that I make with some other things. One of the elements in my sauce that I make for my sandwich is uh, it's from Reynosa, Mexico. It's from Isaiah 55. It's their maroon label chipotle sauce. So all that to say, you might say, what does that have to do with the Great Commission? Well, the Great Commission is a sandwich. There is some authority established. That's the first piece of bread. Then there's the commission, the meat, the peanut butter and jelly, the, the essence of the sandwich. And then at the bottom, there's a promise, right? So there's a, it's a sandwich, bread, meat, bread. I want us to look at these three things. First... The first piece of bread in the sandwich. Verse 18. Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. Jesus says that his authority is total. It's total in superiority. As we read in Acts, there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It's also his authority is total in scope. There's no one who is outside of his authority. So that at the name of Jesus, as we read in Philippians, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. I'll probably say this many times, but this is a merism, which is a part of speech that is used frequently in this time, uh, in this time in history. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me up top, down low, and everywhere in between. My authority is total. And it's vital for us to know this before we receive the commission. Because we don't fulfill the Great Commission on our own authority. We fulfill it on God's authority. And that is, it is imperative. If you are a believer here, it's imperative that you understand this. Because if you believe that you're fulfilling the Great Commission on your own authority, then you'll always lead with your strengths. You'll never confess your sin. You'll never ask for forgiveness. You'll be afraid to fail. But if you believe that the authority that you have is not your own, but it's Jesus Christ's authority, then you are freed up to lead with your weakness, to actually experience real humility, and to recognize that you're on a mission from someone who has real authority. We have to understand this part. The commission doesn't make sense without it. 
We go because Jesus Christ is in charge of everybody and everything. And that gives us confidence and it allows us to be weak. And, uh, and as we've said many times, our strength is perfected. I'm uh, sorry, his strength is perfected in our weakness. So that's the first piece of bread. Now the commission itself. This is, uh, begins in verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Now, I'm not, I don't want to get too nerdy about this, uh, but I do, we're going to take a little deep dive into the Greek for just a second, because the way this is translated doesn't really uh, emphasize the thing that Jesus emphasizes here, okay? What is the biggest emphasis of the Great Commission? Now, in English, we would say go, because it's the first word, and we would be wrong, okay? We would be wrong. That's where we focus. In fact, a better translation would be having gone, all right? They drilled this into us when we were in seminary. They made us learn Greek, I've questioned my call to ministry pretty much every year that I took Greek. Um, about halfway through, I was like, I'm not going to pass. Uh, I don't know, like, I might go work for a bank or something. I, um, I majored in finance. Not that I would be a good bank employee. But the emphasis, the only imperative in this, uh, in this charge from Jesus is make disciples. Make disciples. This is the emphasis. All of the other commands are subservient to this command. They describe how we make disciples. And that's what I'd like to do. I'd like to talk for just a second about how Jesus wants us to make disciples. But before I do that, I've got to say this. You cannot follow Jesus and not be his disciple. It is not possible. Jesus does not call people to anything but discipleship. And if you are following Jesus, and if you are earnestly seeking his discipline, then naturally you will have opportunities to make disciples yourself. I will tell you now, as someone who has a little bit of experience in this area, that it is very easy to make little use that is not what we're called to. I know I've said this to the youth group many times. If you end up like me, I will be very disappointed. What we want is to be like Christ, be made more and more like Christ. And that is a working definition of discipleship, to be sanctified to the point that we are growing in our faith and we become more and more like Jesus. How are we to make disciples? Three ways. We're to make disciples by going to all nations. We're to make disciples by baptizing them in the name of the Trinity. And we're to make disciples by teaching them the commands of Christ. First, make disciples by going to all nations. I want you to notice three things about this command. First of all, making disciples by going to all nations is an active, an active activity. That doesn't even sound right. Sorry, but it's an active act. It's not passive. It's not passive. This is something that we do, not something that we wait and hope happens. We go. It's also outward. This activity is an outward activity. Making disciples has a vector or a direction, and it is not inside. It's not navel-gazing. It is outward. 
And thirdly, making disciples by going is indiscriminate. He says, make disciples of all nations. I know we say this. It's a different thing to really believe it. The greatest need of any group of people or person that you can possibly imagine is that they be a disciple of Jesus Christ. There is no group of people or persons who does not need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and find hope in him. And Jesus says that one of the ways in which we make disciples, he uses us to make disciples, is that we go. We go. I know we're reformed. I know we believe in all the doctrines of grace. Do not, I'm not even going to dive into that. That's too deep of a pool for this sermon. But do not think that that gives us license to kind of sit back like we're on a cruise ship. We are to be going. This is a part of what he says. We're also to make disciples by baptizing them in the name of the Trinity. This is yet another thing that we probably don't have time in this sermon to dive into. But I do want to say really quickly something about baptism. Uh, There are people who make baptism more than it is and also people who make baptism less than it is. Uh, But what, what is baptism? Why is this a part? Why does Jesus ask us to baptize? Look, this... We had a wedding here last night, and they had rings, and they gave each other rings. And this is my wedding ring right here, okay? And I'm going to set it on this Bible. Now, if I took that wedding ring, okay, and I gave it to one of you and said, here, first of all, when we got this ring, Marty complained about how expensive it was. And I was like, listen, do you really want to compare the difference in the cost between our rings? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, but this, this is a visible sign that I'm married to a woman, Marty Cooper. And it's a visible sign of that. But it is not my marriage. I could take this ring and I could give it to any of you. And it doesn't mean that now all of a sudden you are Marty's husband and you have to pay for my kid's college or, you know, like that's not what it means, right? It's a sign. It's a sign that we can see and that we can touch. But listen closely. Even though we can see and touch it, the thing that it signifies is more real than the sign itself. You can't see, touch, you know, my marriage. But I can promise you that it's more real than this ring. And if for some reason I were ever to lose it, lose this. Put it back on so I don't. If some reason I were ever to lose it, um, or if it were to be damaged... Or if I were to be maimed in some way and no longer had a ring finger, it doesn't change the reality of who I am as a husband. Right? Well, baptism is a physical sign, a physical sign, something we can see that tells us about a spiritual reality that is more real than the sign itself. It's more real. One other thing about this before we've got to move on. We're to baptize these, we're to make disciples by baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, the word Trinity, that's what this church is named, Trinity Presbyterian Church. You will not find the word Trinity in the Bible anywhere. That's a spoiler alert for you. It's not in there anywhere. We've checked many times. Uh, it's not. But the principle of the Trinity is, and this is very important. 
right? This passage undergirds what we believe that God is one in three and three in one. And even though that doesn't make sense mathematically, children, it's true. We're to baptize, we're to make disciples by baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The third way that we are to make disciples is we're to make disciples by teaching. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. If we want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, we must study his word. We must ask the Spirit to help us develop a love for his word. Here's what Jesus says in John 15. As the Father has loved me, so imagine that love, eternal, perfect love, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments... You will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. We sing this song in a youth group every once in a while called Come Ye Souls by Sin Afflicted. And it's a, it's a pretty cool song. It's a RUF song. Um, but there is this uh, refrain that happens in this song, I think in the third verse, and it's talking about what happens when someone when someone's soul is redeemed by Christ. And there's this part where it goes that goes like this. It says, His commandments, His commandments, says it three times, His commandments then become their happy choice. This scripture, the teachings of Jesus, his commands, his law, the things that he has taught us. They are what give us joy and happiness in our discipleship. It is where, this, this is the word of life. And there's life to be found here. So we're to make disciples, and that's the most important thing, but we're to make them by going to all nations. We're to make them by baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then lastly, we're to make disciples by teaching them. This is what it means to be a disciple. The passage ends with a promise, the last piece of bread in the sandwich. Look in verse 20. And behold, in other words, listen, I am with you always to the end of the age. When an angel visited Joseph to tell him just exactly who, who it was that was residing in Mary's womb and to encourage him not to divorce her, but to stick with it, he makes this angel says this. He quotes Isaiah seven fourteen. He says, "Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, call, and it will, and you shall call his name Emmanuel." In Exodus thirty three, in the Old Testament, Moses is on a mountain. We might say debating with God. It's a dangerous proposition to debate with God. And God is saying, maybe I'll just send you on and I won't go with you. And this is what Moses says. If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth. What makes a Christian a Christian? Is it their love for the Bible? 
is that they never have doubts. Tithing, Sunday school attendance, you know, not staying away from the, the sins that everyone can see. No, the answer is no to all of those. What makes someone a Christian, what makes someone a believer is that God is with them. When they're in the valley and they can't see over the hills on every side, they're still in Christ because God is with them. And when they're on the mountaintop and experience great victory, they're still in Christ because God is with them. Jesus tells us, he gives us this commission, this commission that we cannot do on our own. And he says, it's okay because I'm with you. Now, as we close, let me, let me just, I want to speak to two different groups of people. If there are people in here, which it's probably the case. If there are people in here who are wondering where they stand with God. That you're not sure if you have faith in Christ. I can understand why this passage is not that inspiring to you. Because Jesus is talking to his disciples. And at this point, maybe you're not one of them. But what I would ask for you to see is I would ask for you to see Jesus reaching out to you, arms wide open, even in your doubt, even in your fear. Jesus is willing to die, has died, to call you his brother and sister, to make you one of Abba's children. And if you don't hear anything else I say, I pray that you would hear that. I or any of our members, any of our ministers, anyone would love to talk with you about that. It would be our sincere honor and privilege to do so. There's another group of people here. And those are the people who are already walking with Christ. And maybe you've been walking with Christ for a long time. I have a charge for you. It's a basketball season. High school basketball games are going on. College basketball games are going on. Um, I would have loved to have been a bench player on like a college basketball team. I feel like I would have done really well at that. I could have made a big deal when people did something awesome, right? And like I held people back or acted like I'm dying or whatever it is. I love those guys. The bench mob, they're awesome. Don't put me in the game. <laughs> that would be absolute tragedy. But I want to tell you something, brothers and sisters in Christ. In this game, there are no bench players. None. If he has called you, then you're on the court or on the field or whatever, whatever analogy you want to use. And your mission field may be your office. It may be your neighborhood. It may be your very home. It could be your school. Or it could be a group of people you haven't even met yet in another country. I do not know what God is calling you to. But I know this. He has not called you to sit and watch. And I don't want that to be a burden to you. Because ultimately, all of our burdens have been lifted in Christ. But I do want to charge you in his name. That you ask yourself, am I available and open? Am I earnestly seeking what God would have for me? Am I ready to make disciples?
He will use you to do it. It is the greatest promise he gives us, that he will save us to use us. Let's pray. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we thank you for your word because your word is truth. Lord, we do pray that you would continue, as you always have, to faithfully call people to yourself out of darkness and into light. And Lord, if you want to use us to do that, if it's your will that you might use us, we pray that we would be, that we would be open to that. And that you would use us. Lord, not for our own glory or so that we could brag about it, but because our highest calling is to be used by you. Lord, we thank you that you reach out to us in our doubt before you ask us about it. We thank you that you have greeted us with arms wide open when we had run away from you. Lord, inspire us and fill us with your spirit. We pray this in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.